What are you spending and being spent on? What takes your greatest attention? Authentic ministry comes when a Christian, a person, spends and is spent for the souls of other people. Welcome to A Better Word with Dr. Nick Gatsky, Senior Pastor of Old North Church in Canfield, Ohio. I'm your host, Brian Dolan. Today we get to part two of a message from Pastor Nick Gatsky called Authentic Ministry. Towards the end of this message, you ask a profound question. What do you spend your life on? Where do you get that from and what do you mean by that? Well, Paul has this expression in our text today about how he's spending his life. And that begs the question of us, what do we spend our life on? And, you know, I think if we're honest, many of us would answer that in a variety of different ways. Some of us don't even think about our life in that way. We don't necessarily proactively go through our days thinking about how we're going to spend our time, effort, energy. We maybe just let life happen to us and see what happens along the way. Others of us are doing just whatever we can do to survive. I'm just trying to get to the end of the week. You know, I have a job, I have kids, I have a spouse, life is hard. And so I don't think about the intentional expenditure of my life. But I think it is really important for us to be able to pause and have some introspection and say, what are the most important things to me? And does my life reflect that which is most important? What am I really spending myself on? And that's where this message today comes to its conclusion. You don't seem to be implying that you don't abandon your family, obviously, or not have any fun in life. You're just saying this as a whole, what are you spending your life on? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, of course, we have godly responsibilities in all kinds of ways to provide for our family, to care for our children, to love our spouse, and to rest appropriately in there along the way. And yet, when you look at the sum total of all of those things, what are you spending your life on? And that's where Paul brings us to. We'll hear today's teaching on that very issue. It is part two of a message called Authentic Ministry. Things are utterly subordinate. But life, your mind, your heart are infinitely superior. I know a lot of people say they believe that, that stuff is subordinate. But friends, there are a lot less that actually live like it. And if you want to serve Jesus, then your goal needs to shift in this life from the accumulation of things toward focusing on people. Paul communicates this motive for ministry in a variety of ways throughout the New Testament. I think 2 Corinthians 12 is probably my favorite expression of it. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 is probably a close second. He says in chapter 2, 2 verse 8, to a different church about the same ideas in ministry. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. And then he just says in a couple verses later in verse 19, what is our hope and our joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Jesus is coming back soon. We want to be able to present to him the thing that is going to make him the greatest glory. That's going to make him infinitely happy. That is going to display that we were faithful to him in this life. What is the thing that is going to display his 
incredible worth. Is it not you? You are our glory and our joy. Serving God means that you give yourself first to the Lord. And in doing so, you give yourself to other people seeking their very souls for God. And that is the reason why Paul did that. The very reason why you can do that is because you understand that things are utterly subordinate in the hierarchy of worth and value. People are infinitely more valuable. And so Paul displays that he has a motive and this motive is not just all talk, that this motive actually has action to it. And we see that true ministry action is expressed in verse 15. Look at it with me. He says, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. I love that expression. Paul is talking about the currency in which Christians deal. This currency that we deal in is not physical money. Our currency is time, effort, devotion. And it leads to, as he says, the procurement of souls to God. (laughs) The good news of the gospel is that Jesus paid for them, for those souls, for your soul on the cross. That if you feel distant from God, you feel like there's no way back to God, you feel as Jason felt as expressed this morning that what shall I do to be saved? That Jesus paid, he procured on the cross a ransom for your soul. That's the good news of the gospel. A ransom is very simply the exchange of something, of currency for a life. And in this case, the payment was his life for yours. And now those who serve him utilize this most profound currency of life to participate in the transactions of souls to God. I can think of nothing more loving, nothing more generous than a person who chooses to spend and to be spent for souls of other people. That's what Christians have been doing for 2,000 years. They look at the world around them. They look at the mechanisms of currency. They account for their life and they choose to spend, but not for stuff that they're going to keep, not for their own comfort. They're spending for souls. That's what I'm trying to do with my life. Albeit quite imperfectly. I've been in pastoral ministry for 15 years in a couple of different roles. That is 5,475 days. 780 Sundays spent for souls. If the Lord allows me to serve full time until I'm 70, I hope he allows me longer than that. But if it's till 70, that means I have a lot more to spend and to be spent. Another 9,855 days. (laughs) That sounds tiring. Another 1,404 Sundays with God's people. But here's the thing. You don't need to be in full-time ministry 
to spend and to be spent for the souls of other people. Without a doubt, God is calling some of you to be in full-time ministry, to change your career, to reallocate your life, to focus on this great call of expenditure for souls at some period. But God is calling all of you to spend and to be spent for other people. And so what does that look like? What does it look like to spend and be spent? Most of you have a variety of responsibilities. You have a full-time job, you have a family, you have activities, you have hobbies, you have a variety of things that you want to do in this life. And the temptation might be to say, I can only spend and be spent for God if I just give it all to him right now in a glorious self-sacrificial transaction to pay the ultimate price of turning away from every reality of this world and going out into the bush and to a people who don't know him to go down in a blaze of glory of martyrdom in his name. I'll do that, God. If that's what you are calling me to do, I will do it to go out in this blaze of glory. We can tend to think when we hear great stories of people that the Lord is using, it's like taking a $1,000 bill, laying it on the table and saying, here's my life, God. I'm giving it all right now. But the reality is for most of us that he sends us to the bank to cash in the $1,000 in quarters and to go home with a very large bag of quarters and then to spend the rest of your days putting 25 cents here and 50 cents there and a dollar there and another 25 cents over here, recognizing, of course, that the whole bag is God's, but you're allocating it. You're spending it down 25 cents at a time. And you do so by doing things like listening to the neighbor kid who can't talk to his own parents about his troubles. And when he's hanging out at your house, you just really want to say in your flesh, get lost. Those problems are your problems, not my problems. But you listen and give him counsel anyway. 25 cents. Or you spend 50 cents by inviting your coworker to your growth group. But you don't just invite them to the growth group to let them sort of flounder in the sea of the unknown. You follow up with her regularly and you ask how she's doing for the sake of her well-being and for the Lord, and you are spending in that moment. Or you pray for the parents of your kid's friend on their baseball team, and then you look for an opportunity at the field to inquire about something real in their life so that once you start to talk about real things in their life, you can maybe start to talk about spiritual things in your life and maybe their life. And then over the course of building and spending yourself down, you have the opportunity to share the gospel with them and see how God might work. And you spend and you grow in your focus and you grow in your desire for others and the rhythms of your life begin to change and you spend and you do this over and above your natural inclination, which is to supply your own comfort. Because usually, usually giving your life to Christ isn't this newsworthy 
internet sensation, glorious video. It's done in little actions of love and persistence and intentionality. 25 cents at a time. It'd be easy to go in a flash of glory. It's harder, I think, to live little by little over the long haul and gladly spend and be spent. Spend it all for your soul and the souls around you. And so Paul is pointing to authentic ministry. He's saying that this type of ministry for Christians occurs when a person spends and is spent for the souls of others. True ministry motives, not something from you, but you. (laughs) True ministry action, spending and being spent for others. And then he moves to the end of the chapter and talks about what we might call true ministry aspiration. Look at verses 19 through 21. He says this. He's talking about, at this point, past engagements that they've had and his future of coming to them again. And he's trying to smooth some things over and make clear what his aspiration is. He says this, have you been thinking all along that we've been trying to defend ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may not find you, not as I wish, and that you may find me, not as you wish, and perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who had sinned earlier and have not repented from impurity and sexual immorality and sensuality that they have practiced. He tries to smooth over this relational tension. He doesn't want to come and to get into a fight with them. He doesn't want them to think less of him. He doesn't want to think less of them. But he gives them the aspiration in verse 19. We've been speaking all of these things to you for your building up. All of the hard things we've talked to you is for your good. It's for your building up. All of the combating with the false apostles is for your upbuilding. We don't have to defend ourselves. God knows who we are and what we are on about. We are doing this for you. It's for your building up. Now, sometimes we think that building somebody up is, maybe we view it in a flat sense. Building somebody up is equal or synonymous with giving somebody encouraging words. That's what we often think. And encouraging words are incredibly powerful, aren't they? When you have somebody who is sincere and speaks direct encouragement into your life about something they see in you, man, that's a powerful reality. William Ward once said it this way. He said, flatter me and I may not believe you. Criticize me and I may not like you. Ignore me and I may not forgive you, but encourage me and I will not forget you. (laughs) But here we see that building up others is not just encouraging words. Because it's interesting to note, immediately after he gives this aspiration to build them up, that he expresses his fear 
that they will continue sinning or have fallen back into sin, even grievous sin of immorality, sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality they had previously engaged in. So building up not only means encouraging someone, but it also means helping them to turn away from the very sins that they are engaged in in rebellion to God and pointing them and walking alongside with them to a better way of living for the sake of their good and God's glory. That's what it means to build somebody up, to be patient and to walk alongside and to engage, not in a condescending sort of way, but to say, hey, if you claim you want Christ, and you want all of the benefits of God, let me build you up by consistently engaging with you toward faith and faithfulness to him. That is another way of saying, I want to spend and be spent for your soul. Authentic ministry comes when a Christian, a person spends and is spent for the souls of other people. What are you spending and being spent on? I'm sure there are a variety of ways that you could answer that question. You could answer it in terms of relationships, time, your career, your family, your money, your activities. Here's the heart of it. What takes your greatest attention, your most sincere efforts, and your affections, and how do those things correspond to your actions in life? Because most people have to work a full-time job, (laughs) and God is still calling us to engage in this type of expenditure practically in an ongoing way. And so maybe one way to say it is that you can have a full-time job and a great career but your life's work is not that job. Your life's work, what defines you by way of your output and action is actually spending for the souls of people. Today in our church, we have a business owner who at any moment would stop anything he was doing to serve the Lord by serving other people, (laughs) being spent for their souls. He runs a successful business, but that's not what he's spending his life on. He's spending it on people. A long time ago, one of my close friends, a great husband, father of four, a medical doctor who ran his own practice, was serving with me in a prior context. And after engaging in a hard conversation with a brother who was struggling, thanked him and we were talking about it. And he looked at me with a quizzical look on his face. And he said, of course, this is my life's work. (laughs) The other stuff I just do to make money, to provide for my family. I was taken aback that this really successful guy thought that serving the Lord by serving people in his church was his life's work. To talk about it in that sort of grandiose language, it was clear, it was direct, and it was clearly undergirded by his conviction And I've never forgotten that. It's always stuck with me. He was spending and being spent for souls. (laughs) What are you spending and being spent on? 
Over the years, I've had the privilege to talk to a lot of people at the different crossroads of life as they're considering and evaluating who they are and what they've done and what they want to do. And one of the reoccurring themes in our culture, at least in my ministry, has been people who have spent much of their life on something else. And in their later years, they realize that they were spending on something of subordinate worth. They were men often around 60 years old, and they had made their money, they had paid for their house, they had career success, their kids were out and off and running. And now in the final third, they realized that the things that they were spending on weren't the things of the highest value, and they wanted to do anything that they could to spend the last third of their days, should the Lord give them that many more, on things of superior worth. What are you spending and being spent on? There was a young man who some years ago lay dying in his bed. His mother believed him to be a Christian and he was greatly surprised and distressed. She was when one day passing his room, she heard him say, lost, lost, lost. And immediately she opened the door and she cried to her son, my boy, is it possible that you have lost your hope in Christ? Now that you are dying? And he said, no, no, mother, no, it's not, that's not it. I have hope beyond the grave, but I've lost my life. 24 years I have lived and done nothing for the son of God. And now I am going. My life has been spent for the self. I've lived for this world. And now while dying, I've given myself to Christ, but my life is lost. And we ask, what are you spending and being spent on? You know, in the ancient days, when the king of Siam had an enemy, he wanted to torment and destroy, he would send that enemy a very unique gift, a white elephant, a live albino elephant. Next Christmas, you will not think of your white elephant gift exchange the same. These animals were considered obviously incredibly rare. And because they were so rare, they were considered to be sacred in many cultures of that day. And so the recipient of that elephant had no choice but to intentionally care for the gift. The elephant would take an inordinate amount of the enemy's time, resources, energy, emotions, and finances. And over time, the enemy would ultimately destroy himself because of the extremely burdensome process of caring for the white elephant. You know, our spiritual enemy uses a similar strategy on us. Let's say that you could do any number of pretty good things. You could buy season tickets to your favorite sports team, but because you still have a lot of games left to go to, you no longer have time to serve the Lord in an area of ministry or let's say that you buy a summer cottage up by the lake and now you miss most of the weekend worship services between the end of May and the beginning of September. Or let's say you buy a gym membership because you want to get in shape, which is a really good thing. And you used to get up early in the morning and read your Bible and pray, but now you don't have time anymore because you go to work out before work. Or let's say that your son or your daughter makes the travel sports team because they're really good and because of that traveling sports team, now you're too busy to join a growth group or to grow in community with others or to help your kids do the same. 
Are there white elephants in your life? Spending the money is not really the issue, but are there things, activities that are good and they're not necessarily the problem, but the problem is that the white elephant gift that you think is a gift actually pulls you away from the pursuit of the highest worth and value. What are you spending and being spent on? What kind of accounting do you need to do? (laughs) Authentic ministry occurs when a person spends and is spent for the souls of other people. Thanks, Pastor. That concludes part two of our message called Authentic Ministry. Next time, we'll continue on in the series called Perfect Power in Our Weakness in the book of 2 Corinthians. Don't miss it. Once again, this is A Better Word, and I want to bring Pastor Nick back in the studio here because our resource for a gift this month to A Better Word is a book called The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom. And it really is her story of enduring the horrors of a concentration camp. Why does it matter that we reflect on the stories of Christians that have come before us? Brian, stories of great courage like this one help us and inspire us to be courageous in the right types of ways. And so this story is compelling. It's in one of the worst times in recent human history that people would recount during the Holocaust. And to see someone of deep devotion to the Lord act courageously in the middle of it certainly lifts us up. And so it's a great story to read and I commend it to you. And your partnership with us here at A Better Word this month will get the resource in your hands. Again, Corey Ten Boom's Christian classic, The Hiding Place. You can get it today with your gift to A Better Word. Again, go to abetterword.org. That's abetterword.org. Get your gift in and we'll send you the book. A Better Word is a teaching ministry of and is sponsored by Old North Church of Canfield, Ohio.